Hey everybody, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the last episode. If you haven't, go ahead and listen to that one too. First, second, third, whatever you want to do. But we're doing a series um, talking about this roadmap of the future that we're moving into. What is it going to be like life after quarantine? Today I have a guest, a really good friend. We've been friends for 20 years. She's like a sibling to me, Patrice Calores. You all may know her as one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, founder of Dignity and Power Now, New York Times bestselling author. The list goes on. She stays busy. I was really grateful that she sat and talked with me. It's a soulful conversation, really chill, like, this is the homie right here, you know? So we're just talking and talking like we normally do about ourselves, our issues, our healing points, like places we want to go, our dreams. I'm really grateful for this conversation. I'm looking forward to more. Please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify Share this episode or another episode of All Heart Podcast with someone that you know. Go ahead and send them a text and say, hey, you should listen to this right now. You'll feel better. I'd love to hear from you all. Email allheartpodcast at gmail.com. Slide into these DMs, All Heart Podcast on Instagram. I just love hearing from you all and seeing what you're getting from these Um, conversations and ideas and we're also going to have a special bonus to this episode a prayer an offering for everybody to listen to as well this week okay much love welcome everybody to the all heart podcast my name is noni lamar i'm your host and i'm here with one of my dearest friends of 20 years does that age us (laughs) (laughs) One of my my dearest friends, Patrice Colors, and I mean, you all probably know her as an amazing New York Times bestselling author, co-founder of the Black Lives Matter movement. I know her as a glam, glamnista, fashionista, loverista. <laughs> I do a lot of inappropriate commenting on our Instagram when it's really serious topics like, oh, girl, your lashes. <laughs> so everybody say hi to Patrice. Patrice, say hi to the All Heart listeners. Hi, All Heart listeners. Thanks, Noni. It's, I'm a big fan of All Heart and super grateful to be on today, especially during this time. This time is kind of crazy. I wanted to check in with you about what's going on with you. But first, I just wanted us to acknowledge like all of the people that are dealing with deaths and people in the hospital and ill all around the world. And I just wanted to take a moment just to send everybody a lot of love and a big hug. Lots of prayers for all of you. I know people that have lost folks. Do you too, Patrice? 
I know people who've lost folks. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to say like um, our last episode, I really was talking about the different way we can look at this time, but it doesn't take away from the real reality that a lot of people are losing their lives. A lot of people are sick. A lot of people are dealing with just illness. So Mm I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that and send everybody a lot of love. And if you have anybody that's sick that you know, please shoot a DM to me at All Heart Podcast on Instagram. And I'll be saying lots of prayers and sending love to you and your loved ones. Thanks. I want to, I just want to echo that. It's, um, yeah, just a lot of love to, to, to folks, I think we knew people were going to pass away, but just hearing the stories and getting calls from people and texts from people like their friend, their family, you know, has passed from COVID-19 complications. Just, it really, it's sobering. It is, right? hmm So I think we all know, like, it's all over the internet. Stay at home, wash your hands. Now, I went out the other day and there were gloves all over the ground everywhere. It was so nasty. I was like, yo, like, and I was probably the only person that didn't have a mask, like me and three other people. I was like, okay, all right. It was, Mm -hmm. it was like, every time I go to the grocery store, it's more and more intense. Like it's the vibe is more, I'm like, oh, I'm, I won't be out here for another two weeks. Like, it's yeah. So I wanted to ask what's on your heart right now. What are you thinking about and feeling, Patrice? Oh my God. So many things. Um, I think like the most vulnerable parts of me are feeling a lot of grief and also a lot of like reckoning like mm-hmm. i think for those of us who aren't sick some won't, some of us won't get sick you know some of some of us will get sick some of us will survive some of us won't but like in this like in between space of like just like watching the cycle of illness happen there's so much pause mm-hmm. and so much quiet and in that pause and quiet, which is not a natural state for me, honestly, like I am, it's very rare that I get to pause. It's very rare that I get quiet. And in the pause and quiet, I'm just like feeling a lot of grief, a lot of curiosity, a lot of um, confusion, you know, like, Mm. And I feel like the confusion is like my brain and body trying to wrap my head around this moment. Like uh, the idea that we don't know, like there's no security, like when the restrictions are going to be lifted, when, you know, all these things that feel, that help me ground. Mm -hmm. Um, Or at least, I don't know if it's ground, like that help me, that keep me in a routine. They don't exist right now. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kicking up a lot. It's kicking up a lot. And so right now I'm I'm kind of just, you know, I I take a lot of deep breaths 
daily. Like my anxiety feels like it's at bay right now, which is useful because anxiety was really intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I have a little bit more, um, there's a little bit more of a container mm. for all the feelings that keep coming up for me. Well, it's been three weeks. Like I was looking at the calendar this morning, like, okay, I started my quarantine. Well, I officially started my quarantine in December <laughs> before I had a baby. <laughs> I came off of quarantine for like one solid week, like out here in these streets, but then I went back. So it's been about three weeks here in Cali. It's a lot. Like it's a long time. It's a long time, a really long time. And it's not, I know California has like been real strict and, and then our city, which I mean, California's being strict. And then I think all the cities and counties are taking heed. So I think it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while till we're out of this. And then I think, you know, lots of us are going to feel a ways like it's going to take some time to come back into being around crowds and yeah it's a big that's what I'm really wanting to talk about over these next weeks is like what are these roadmaps like this is a time as you sit still to begin to map out like what is this new life that we're going to be entering into look like because Mm -hmm. only only we can determine that right like we're we're deciding which way we're going. We're mapping it out. It can go right back to where it was, although that feels impossible. Mm-hmm. Like, where is anyone even going to go to work? Like, That's exactly right. Right? So it feels impossible to go back. So what is the next move, you know? I think one thing, though, I want to acknowledge about what you said, in California, it's a lot different. The numbers are, like, way different than anywhere else. Yep. And... I don't know. My imagination doesn't see us doing this until like the fall, mm-hmm. but we'll see, you know, we'll see. But when I look out and see, I, I had a feeling it wasn't going to be the same here mm-hmm. just because of how we live, you know, mm-hmm. how we live, how we think, how health is prioritized in this state. Like it's, it's a very different place to live, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's where like, Yeah. I think it's going to be different. I wanted to say what's on my heart is a lot about Corona cabin fever. Um, It's officially set in in my home. And I just want to give a big shout out to all of y'all who are just um, with niggas in your home. Like I give you the, (laughs) I give you my whole heart. I I know how you feel. And um, to all the niggas out there that are just on lockdown and quarantine, I'm sorry you can't move around in the streets. I'm sure life has changed a lot for you. We're really, really, really feeling it. Like, I think my three-year-old said, Umi, um, I'm just so sad because I just want to go to places again. Like, it would be so fun to go to places. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, yeah, it would be, wouldn't it be great to go to oysters? Like, go eat oysters at King's Fish House? That would be fantastic. And then we just started naming, like, what are all of the different places she could think of that she wanted to go? And we're just using our imaginations. Like, let's imagine we're at the library. Let's imagine we're at the bookstore. 
Like, let's imagine we can go to Auntie Laney's house, but we can't, you know? So I just feel like it's starting, we're very blessed to have enough room in this house for eight people. But it's definitely starting to kind of wear on the relationships and like just people getting tired of each other, you know, like it's totally normal and human. And my tactic has definitely been to leave the room, (laughs) (laughs) just completely just go into another space. Mm -hmm. Don't even... You know, sometimes I say something, sometimes I don't. If I don't say something, I'll come back and apologize mm. for, for just walking out. But I really realized how much space is important to my mental health. Like, I'm like on top of children all the time. Mm-hmm. But there are the moments where I get to just go places alone. And that's that's not happening, you know, and that's the reality for all eight people and well the baby doesn't count I'm sure he's fine he looks really happy how are y'all doing with the cabin fever over there I think you know it sets in at night more Mm. like during the day and that's because during the day I'm like working Mm -hmm. I wake up I start work I get in in the zoom writer's room you know, I work during my break and then I'm done about 4.35 and then I'm like, ah, what am I going to do with myself? Mm. And then I kind of get like paralyzed. Mm. And then I'm like, okay, like you're okay. Like you're just in your house. Like I did take a walk around my neighborhood. Like I've done two things. I've driven to PCH. This, okay. is, this is before our mayor was like, stop going to the beach. Right. So I drove to PCH just like I needed to get out. I think that was like a week and a half in, like 10 days in. Mm-hmm. And it was so beautiful. And I parked at a, at a beach parking lot that are now closed. <laughs> and I got some Thai food and I just ate curry in my car and slipped the ocean. I was like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Go back home. And I was like, okay, that was good. Like, I'll do that. You know, that'll be like a thing that I do. And then like two days later, they're like, we're shutting down all the beaches at the park. <laughs> Y'all niggas don't know how to act. And I was like, okay, well. Because it's true. Remember everybody was up at, what's that place? Um, Runyon Canyon? Yeah, everybody was at Runyon <laughs> And Griffith Park taking pictures, selfies. Like, well, we can't, we shelter in place, but we outside. <laughs> like, which I get, like, especially. I think you know we should probably we got to talk about like what it means for Americans to be told what to do you know right right like there's such a there I think it's like Americans like western society is like everything's about like freedom like you get to do what you want to do which is why I think it's taken so long for like the south and the midwest to actually shelter (laughs) listen Listen, these niggas in Florida are like, we still going to church because Jesus is Jesus and Jesus is <laughs> Let me Let me tell you, I'm not going to um, get us sick out here. And that's Christ the Lord. I was like, I was like, I mean, I get it. I get it. They're like, everything's closed but the church. <laughs> Barbecue, closed. Fish spot, closed. Church, we doing it. 
they just literally uh governor DeSantis, which he's ridiculous basically was like okay yes we got a shelter in place now florida i didn't realize <laughs> that people could spread the disease i had no idea <laughs> i was like what <laughs> so i just think that yeah he, he hadn't been watching the news he's like me <laughs> he's just on twitter he was just like in his mansion like yeah i mean whatever we're good everybody else is good um yeah you know the cabin fever feels um you know what you know what i keep thinking about to be to be 100 with you is mm-hmm. like i just keep thinking about incarcerated people that's i knew you're about to say that like if this is how i feel what about folks in jail yeah and like literally this like what it means to tell people like human beings are we're two things we're nomadic and we're social mm-hmm. and like the ability to be mobile and to socialize with our friends and family and the and the authentic ways that we're used to is really debilitating and that's i keep thinking about people who are inside like in, in literal cages who you know are forced to live in them shit in one place eat in one place breathe in one place make you know everything in one place and you know for some for some of us not all of us we still have the luxury of being in our homes and it doesn't take away the feelings of a feeling trapped, but I just keep, that's like the thing that keeps coming to mind for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, all that to say is I don't have eight people in my house like you, so it's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of personalities. Exactly. But I, I, my, 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 I just, it's so hard. Like every day I wake up like, <laughs> what's going on i started to um i'm reading um not reading i'm listening to octavia but it's hard for me to concentrate too i don't know Mm -hmm. how you feel um but it's been hard to focus on something and unless it's for work and even those first days back at work i was like why are we doing this (laughs) i get it like i gotta bring a story for callie and malika and shit but like what are we doing um but now i i can focus more on that but new things are hard to focus on so i've I've picked up um listening to books and i'm listening to parable of the talents right now i mean what else what else should you listen to it's the same fucking story playing out Exactly. So we're talking, if you haven't read it, it's Octavia Butler's Parable of the Talents. And the first book is Parable of the Sower. And it's basically like she like flash forwarded into this time and just told us all about what we had to look forward to. So are you ready to start like walking along the freeways? Like I got my bag. (laughs) I keep thinking about that walking on the 110. (laughs) I got my bag. It's packed. I'm ready. Got your bug out bag. You ready to go? Uh, yeah, I think um, I wanted to talk to you primarily about freedom. I was sitting and thinking, like, when I think of Patrice, what is the word that comes to mind? And it's always freedom. Hmm. It's always like that's to me what you represent, um, whether that be the freedom to love many or the freedom <laughs> to free the people or the freedom to wear whatever you want, or the freedom to, 
identify how you want to identify and the freedom to call yourself whatever name you choose. Mm -hmm. You've always like really pushed me to think about freedom in new ways. And the project that we worked on together years back um, before BLM was called Stained. And at the beginning of the, that project, Patrice would always tell the audience, um, like, what are we going to imagine, right? Like, you'd say, I don't want to speak for you. Can you tell, <laughs> do, do your thug thizzle, what you would say? Because that thing really stuck with me. Go ahead, tell the people. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm really, for, for a long time, I had like a for real obsession with Harriet Tubman mm. since like, honestly, childhood up until right before building out Stain, DPN, Dignity and Power Now, BLM. And I still have an obsession with her, but like, it was almost as if her spirit was calling on me to do very particular things. And I would pray to her. I would like dedicate everything to her. I also proclaimed that she was my wife. (laughs) Yeah, it got sexual. You're the first person that ever sexualized Harriet Tubman in my world. I was like, okay, I guess she, I guess she did do it. She did do it for some- <laughs> I think Harriet was like a full-on butch. <laughs> I, I mean, from the photos. <laughs> That's for another podcast. <laughs> but, you know, like, I, I, really felt deeply 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 connected to her and like I just was like studying and I remember I went through this like obsession of like studying the underground railroad and like what was it I was like tell me I wanted to know the coordinates like I remember going to Des Moines Iowa where my grandma lives used to live she born and raised and I went to like one of the underground railroad house homes and I want I wanted to I almost did an underground railroad bike ride like (laughs) I almost did, like, I was almost going to do it with this organization. I talked to the dude and everything. This was, like, you know, when I was super broke, so I couldn't, like, get it together to do that. But, like, mm-hmm. I was I was truly, truly invested in Harriet Tubman's freedom, clarity around freedom, like, freeing her family, freeing her community. And she's, you know, so many things other than just one of the baddest you know, folks who led folks out of freedom. She also was a nurse. She also was a general. Like, so in that process, I started to ask people to imagine what freedom looked like to them. Like, Mm. what is our new Underground Railroad? Like, what does that look like? Um, And I was, you know, first really thinking about like, how do I bust people out of jails and prisons? Like, that's literally what my brain, I was like, it's not, that's not actually possible in the ways that the Underground Railroad is because we, you know, there isn't this, it's just different around militarization and policing. So I started to think about like our minds, like how do we imagine freedom? And, and in that, how do we imagine freedom? I would ask the audience to, um, I would say first, like someone imagine handcuffs, someone imagine jail cells, um, and then they came to be. So what can we imagine? Like, how do we imagine abolition? That's really what it was about, about imagining a world without jails, police, court systems, and surveillance. And not just, not just um, 
proclaiming those things not to be anymore because abolition is more than just a proclaiming of what not to be, but it is about imagining what is. And um, that was a really powerful, you know, that, that led me to, that's led me, I, I think about that all the time. It's led me to a lot of, you know, different choices I've made in my life. I'm just being able to imagine something and then through that imagination, materializing it. Mm. I love that so much, you know, with one of my, my eldest was asking me like one day we were driving because he's starting, he's nine. So he's starting to have the conceptual mind, right? We're driving and he's like, who, who came up with that over there? And I'm like, what? That, I'm like the streetlight? Yeah. And what about that? And what about that? And he's pointing out everything. And I, I thought of you and I said, you know what? Everything that we see with our eyes that wasn't from the earth was imagined mm. by a human being. So you can use your imagination to imagine whatever you like. And that's really, that is the place that I keep coming to. I wake up in the morning. I'm definitely have to remind myself that the entire world is in quarantine. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh yeah, like this is the reality I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. It's not the reality that I've known for, you know, 30 plus years. Yeah. So now what's next? Like, what do I want to imagine? <laughs> like, what can I, what can life look like now? And that's really what I wanted to ask you. Like, are you daydreaming? What do you imagine right now, both on the personal level for yourself, like personal, spiritual, mm-hmm. and then on a political stage? Like, what, what are we imagining? What is this roadmap? I think a lot of us are curious, but don't even know where to start, you know? Absolutely. It's a really great question. Um, one thing I'll say is it's been really beautiful to see how beautiful the sky is without mm. so much human day-to-day functioning. Um, I literally step outside and I'm like, whoa, like, I don't, I don't see pollution. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, it's been amazing, you know, for many of us who've been on the front lines of abolition work in LA County, we started off before quarantine at 17,000 daily incarcerated people. We now have under 14,000 incarcerated people. Wait, say the numbers again. We started off with 17,000 daily incarcerated people mm. inside our county jails. And now we have under 14,000 people. That's amazing. And the numbers are going to keep dropping. People are, are you know, demanding that those numbers drop. Um, so much is shifting. How does that work though? Let's, let's take a, let's put a pin in this for a second. Like, how is that working? I've been so curious. Is it that folks see that the jails are overcrowded and they don't want to spread the virus in the jails or like Absolutely. who's making those demands? Like how is it working? Um, <clears throat> Justice LA, uh, which is, uh, I'm a founding member of, uh, is, is really leading the demands around um, decarceration and uh, it from the beginning, like the minute we heard COVID-19 was like, 
going to be a thing, mm -hmm. um, folks gathered to call on the county. So the county board of supervisors, our health directors, Dr. Barbara Ferrer and Dr. Muntu Davis, um, the sheriff's department, the DA and the judges. There's many actors here. And the call was reduce the prison population, the, reduce the jail population. It needed to be reduced anyways. So mm -hmm. uh, let people out that are not an imminent threat to public safety. Mm. And what we know is that there are many people who are not an imminent threat to public safety. And the only reason why they're inside is because they're sick, they're poor, or they're drug dependent, or they're chronically mm -hmm. homeless. And so what it's forced the county to do because um, the other thing is they don't want to actually let people out and then be homeless because that's also a public health crisis. Mm -hmm. So there are um, thousands of hotel beds the county has secured to mm. get housing. And so like that is so interesting to me. Like we're, we're literally in the city of LA, you know, the mayor opened up like several shelters to finally get people into shelters. We've been begging for this for years. So this, this moment that we're in is forcing systems to have to deal with what they've created, the social ills they've created, and forcing them to deal with it differently. My big thing, though, and this is like something that I've learned in generative somatics, which is there's a cycle of sort of like when a person or a collective or a society or a government or a nation or a world, there's moments where you like, you're, you, you, you see the pain, you feel the pain, and then you get to this place in the pain where something opens up and you have this opportunity for you to do something different. Mm. And this is the place that we're in. We're in, an, we're in a global opening and we have the opportunity to do something different. Some people are, some governments are, some individuals are. The, the, the scary part about this though, or the or the challenge, challenging part about the opening is what there's, there's a strong physical desire. It's not even in your brain, it's your body. There's a strong collective physical desire to go back to the old because everybody is scared of the new. Yeah, and it's so familiar. It's so familiar. Exactly. So we're in this opening right now and we, all of us, it can't just be some people, we all collectively have to drive us to the new place. We have to drive ourselves to the new place because if we don't, you know, I feel like we saw this, we see, that, we see it all the time. We, do it, we saw it during the, 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 the um, Obama candidacy, right? Like the whole, the whole country and the world was like, oh my God, like finally, like we're gonna get something different in America. Like we started to talk to countries that hadn't talked to us in years. Like, <laughs> you know, all these openings, like, and then, you know, the, the drive, the physical drive to go back to the old is, is, is really what happens to us. So I, I, I say all of that because I am interested in collective imagining right now. I have a lot of thoughts. I've been imagining for a long time where, what the world I want to live in. And my, my desire is that we collectivize that imagination right now to go towards healing, go towards care and love and dignity in this moment. Like those are the four pillars I think that will get us to a new place if we do it as a collective. 
Say those four again, because one of the things I, you know, that I believe in is where two or three are gathered in the name of something that something becomes, right? Mm -hmm. And so what are the four pillars that you're talking about? Healing, care, dignity, and love. And what does care look like to you? I mean, systematically and institutionally, it means that we end the big business of, of, of the medical industry. Mm. The only reason we are trying to quote flatten the curve, the only reason why we're, we're so scared beyond getting sick and, and dying of this pandemic is that we can't get cared for. Yeah. Like, that's the fear, like yeah. that we're going to get sick and that there's no body that will care for us. And that's true. That is what's happening. There are more people that wouldn't die if we we actually lived in a system that was care first. I was looking at Taiwan as a model this morning, probably Taiwan. five in the morning. Out. <laughs> Taiwan. Oh, Taiwan is doing it so good. And and here's the thing that I want to think about, right? Like we're talking about the future. We're talking about our future as a collective, black futures. There are folks that are already living in the future. Yes, yep, yep. Taiwan is going to like track you with a GPS tracker or Bluetooth. <laughs> that fucking sucks. But their care model is one that takes care of both the patient mm-hmm. and it takes care of the healthcare worker. Yes. And they're churning out like 10,000 masks a day. You know, like in production, I really encourage all of you to just like do a little research. I can post a video on the All Heart um, Instagram and just really hear what Taiwan is doing. When we look around the world, we can see the possibilities of how we can care for one another. And I think that that's the dopest part of this is that for the first time, since I've been alive, I've seen the entire globe see their interconnectedness. Yes. This, it, this isn't the Olympics, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it isn't cheering to win or dominate, mm-hmm. but how your health impacts my health, how your life impacts my life. I saw trending mm-hmm. on Twitter yesterday, like um, basically they're talking about French doctors wanting to test the vaccine on Africans. I saw that. And it was trending like, yeah, we're not your guinea pigs. Like idea right now to me, it just, it gives me chills. Like what you were saying. And even this idea that Africans are mobilized enough to say no. Yes. Mm -hmm. To say like, this isn't affecting our continent and the numbers that it's affecting the rest of the world. And you're not going to come over here and force it, force it on us. Like, Mm -hmm that for the first time, like Africans have a voice in that, like, you're not going to come like mine our gold or our diamonds, like we're saying no. And that just really, really, really touched me too. Mm -hmm. I want to know what you think dignity looks like, because I actually think this word is something that I really deal with personally. Like when I'm in an argument, I think that that's what the argument is always about. It's about Mm -hmm are you taking away my dignity? Like, are you, are you preserving my dignity or me saying, no, I won't allow you to take my dignity because an argument or a fight is not a disagreement. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for 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 black girls, black folks, folks who grew up poor, folks who were abused, like <clears throat> dignity stuff is huge. It's like a part of like uh it's a consistent rec it's a consistent um like reclamation and um and somatics were taught that our dignity is like in our in our length you know like when we're centering we're taught to center in our dignity center in our length and you know so much about our posture um i know i grew up like very much like shoulders hunched over um and then I and then I was I became a dancer and so really I feel like a a lot of my when I think about the first times I knew my dignity is like when I was dancing when I was when I was making when I was being asked when I was asking my body to show up for itself Mm. like part of the this piece around dignity is that's one of the first things that's taken from human beings in order to control them. Mm. It's one of the first things that take that's 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 um, compromised from uh, that's compromised, and our and our spirits in order to tell us we deserve, you know, shit. We mm. deserve to not um, be loved. We deserved to not be cared for. Like I feel like dignity is actually like the first thing you need to actually for yourself to 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 believe in your worth and also the first thing you need to tell other people like no i i i'm worthy of of this thing i'm worthy of love i'm worthy of care i'm worthy of healing that's why i'm almost in everything i talk about i talk about dignity my first organization i founded was called dignity and power now because without we can we can try to put a bunch of people in power but if they don't have their dignity they're not going to give it to others. They're not going to, they're not going to model that. And they're not going to be able to be consistent. It's a thing I struggle with a lot around my worth and my dignity. It's, this is not a thing that I have down packed. It's actually a literal daily struggle. Mm. Um, and I think in the last seven years of my life, especially around building out a, a, a global movement and and experiencing so much vitriol from white supremacists, from people in my own community, like I've really had to. It's been it's been beautiful in this moment, even though it's like amongst a pandemic, to um, to reclaim my dignity and to like go slow. Like I'm a bulldozer. Like I'm like all right. Like I'm I got a campaign. I got everything's rapid response for me. Like it's a rapid response dignity campaign for Patrice Colors. Like. I'm like it's just not that's not how it's gonna work like it's slow like allowing myself to feel my feelings actually I actually contacted two of my good friends today and I said hey I I really need to talk to the both of you because I need to talk to you about like some movement PTSD that I have and like I trust them and I, I thought that was like that's a good sign for me because I usually bulldoze through my emotions like my sadness my trauma like I don't give it enough space to to feel and um, especially in these last seven years, that didn't that didn't used to be true. You know me, Noni. You've known yeah. that I'd be a big, you know, I would give a lot of room and space to my feelings and other people's feelings. But the last seven years have been very different. So I'm I'm reclaiming the parts of me that I I, I taught myself and other people taught me how to be. And I think dignity is is 
I think it's at the center, to be honest with you. It's at the center of those four pillars. Hmm. What are like, I, I can speak for myself and I don't want to hear from you. Like, what are the triggers that are coming up for you around this time? Like, for me, there's been a lot of, I'm in the house actually with my parents. So I had to move in with my parents because we had mold in our apartment when I was pregnant. And we literally left. Uh, we found it on the 4th of July. We left on the 5th. We just packed up all of our stuff um, and left. And then went and moved our stuff out in October. And we just been here. And I was like, I'm not going to move pregnant to a new place. And then in November, because I study astrology, I knew that there was going to be like a big um, thing like this that's, that was going to happen. So there was a there was a an astrological um, aspect that happened mid-January that I could see in November. I was like, eh, might want to um, stay here till <laughs> after that kind of mm-hmm. passes in the summer. It should be cool. So I, w- I had just been like, yeah, I'll stay here. And at first I didn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, this is great. Like, it's not bad. There's like a bunch of adults that can hold mm-hmm. babies. Like, this is great. But then I realized we weren't living together until mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. It was a bus stop. It was people coming in and out and just checking in and being cordial. But really living together, it hadn't happened. And I started to see some of my triggers like I would speak and no one would answer or I would sneeze and this, it can sound so little, but you know, this is my shit, right? Like I'd sneeze, no one say bless you. Like I would say something like, oh man, like I have a bit of a headache and everyone would just keep watching television. Right. And, and I'm like, wow, like I feel fucking invisible in here. And then it started reminding me of being a little girl and feeling invisible and feeling not cared for and feeling not prioritized. Mm-hmm. and when all of this hit and I lost all my income, mm-hmm. I was like, why aren't they asking me how I feel or, mm-hmm. you know, and I realized from, you know, deep within and friends like you tree, like I have to also say something mm-hmm. like I tend to just, um, act out by just, uh, detaching and being completely silent and taking away my energy mm-hmm. until I make everyone uncomfortable around me. It's a shitty way of communicating. Um, but I, that's what I do. And finally, my mom was like, this isn't okay. <laughs> like, what, what's wrong with you? So we had a long conversation about it. And just me talking about like, wanting to be noticed and seen and heard and loved and what that looked like for me and what my expectations were and where she was at it was just really good Mm. and as hard as that was it was the week my grandma had passed and like all the stuff that was coming up from that I just realized like this is actually a really good time to Mm. deal with this stuff and I'm a person who's quote done the work Mm-hmm. Right. But there's so many layers to Absolutely. doing the work. There's so many things that that feeling of feeling worth being loved from a child that was that felt I felt abandoned most of my life. 
mm-hmm. just kind of out here on my own. My parents have become incredible over time, but that doesn't take away those habits, mm-hmm. those seeds, those ways of interacting. Mm-hmm. I want, and, and in that, I saw that, wait, I can create a new map to freedom right in my own self at this mm-hmm. time because there's nothing else to really do mm-hmm. right like this is the work I'm being called to do is go within and really deal with myself because this is my home my body's my home my heart is my home my mind my soul and I'm being called to stay in this home yeah. and to really live in this home yeah and see what's working and what's not working what I want in here and what I don't and also giving myself a ton of grace with it, you know. What are some stuff that's been coming up for you? Yeah, all of that resonates. Um, all of that resonates. I think just very similarly, like, I think the first week I was so anxious, like, and now that I look back, I'm like, oh, that that was probably because that's actually how I, that actually is probably how I've been. I've probably been very anxious. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I was being kind of forced, like, same, like all my gigs were canceled. I was supposed to fly out to a bunch of places. It was Women's History Month. I was supposed to go to a bunch of places and give a bunch of talks and mm-hmm. everything got canceled. And I was just like forced to sit my ass down. and our writer's room, we took a break for a week so people could reconfigure and figure out what was going on. So I was just like sitting up in my house. Mm. I was like having legit panic attacks, like mm. hyperventilating, like my chest would get down. I was like, do I got Corona? Like, <laughs> I can't breathe. And, like, I don't got no fever, but bitch, you are anxious. Like, this is not the coronavirus. It's anxiety. <laughs> um but it was it was it was not good it was terrible um but in retrospect like you know I was talking to my therapist and she was just like um you're gonna feel everything like Mm -hmm. you are going to feel everything and you don't give yourself a lot of room to do that so be an observer of your feelings um try not to judge them and show up for yourself right now and I just feel like all I could do like I was cooking every day and the other day I got some juices and I'm just like okay I'm just gonna like take myself take it really slowly Mm -hmm. um you know just going to like be in this process like as as slowly as possible like people been like hey can you get on this zoom call can you do this can you do this and I'd be like no except when the other day was like hey we missed you on the call yeah I'm taking Mm -hmm. it slowly like and like in Patrice's world, slow is probably really different than other people's world, you know? <laughs> but what it means is I'm doing the things that are gonna actually make me feel good right now. And I and I'm because I can notice more of my feelings right now. And it's why I like connected with two of my homeboys because I'm 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 feeling anxious about entering this this space that I that I want to be in, but I'm feeling anxious about it. And so I wanna name it and talk about it now before it gets it turns into what it turns into. And so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself because I feel like it's the first time in a long time where I am listening to myself first mm. and then like 
giving myself the room to say yes or no or maybe one of my homeboys was like should we start like a mutual aid fund for blah 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 and I was like no no we shouldn't <laughs> I was like I was like if you want to do if you want to work on the shit I'm doing I'm working on you know helping people get out of jail right now like I don't need to add more on my plate that just I know we all want to feel like we got to do something and we're all we all should do something something that feels good but not something that's going to max our capacity right now like we need we need our health right now so much like we need our we need our bodies so much right now and so like maxing out my capacity even though it's literally what i've been doing for seven years is so uninteresting to me that i i can't do it like i physically can't say yes to it and that has been liberating like i haven't said no to shit in a long ass time yeah yeah to say no to stuff or to see stuff sunsetting. Like I'm having, like I start things and I'm like, guess I'll be here forever. How long is it gonna last? You're like, let's set a date. Like it's actually really good. It's good to have a container. And so like, I'm doing that with other projects. Like, oh, I did this thing for this long. This thing is gonna go move into this place. Like this is the way the shift looks like. So, yeah. Um, so I wanted to kind of, wrap up talking about what the next five years looks like. You said something earlier that made me remember we have a mutual friend, Mike De La Rocha, and me and Mike on September 10th checked out of um, the uh, World Trade Center Marriott. We had been staying there for days. And um, the whole like days leading up to September 11th, we had been in a lot of conversation about um, U.S. imperialism. We were with this like incredible band that was like totally like anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist with all these mm. people. Like it was a an event basically that was dealing with prison abolition, all of this stuff, but spiritually too, right? Mm-hmm. So we were having all of these circles, me and all of these these Latino dudes, like all in these circles talking. And I remember September 10th, we were checking out, we were trying to stay longer. And then it was like, no, something, everything, what, you know, when things aren't working out, like yeah. it's just not working out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? We're hitting all these roadblocks. Let's just check out and go. That's crazy. I did not right. know the story. Yeah. And so, mind you, we weren't paying for the tickets to stay. I mean, the, the hotels, okay? We, we weren't paying for World Trade Center Marriott hotels. So we go to separate, um, we go to separate airports. Mm-hmm. And he's in one airport, I'm at another. This is a long time ago, so I don't even know our cell phone capacity, but I believe we were we were talking to each other in some messaging or talking on the phone. I don't remember. And I was like, is the airport crazy by you? And he was like, yeah. And it was crazy by him. I think one of us was at LaGuardia. One of us was at JFK. And I remember calling the Puerto Rican I was dating at the time. Like, (laughs) like, of course, course. (laughs) yo, I gotta get out of New York. Like, there's something crazy about to happen. It feels really mm-hmm. weird in the air. I don't know what it is, but I have to get out. And they're only letting certain planes out. It was raining. I remember sitting in that plane, sitting on the tarmac forever, and mm-hmm. just praying, praying, praying that I could get home. 
I touched down in LA September 11th in the morning. I got home. I was by the federal building on Westwood. I was still in college. Mm -hmm. I went, I laid down. And as soon as my head hit the pillow, my mom called me screaming, thinking I was still in New York. And then we had to leave because we were right next to the federal building. And I went to De La's house, to Mike De La Roche's house. And it was his, it was his birthday. And I showed up at his door. Yeah. It's his birthday. I showed up at his door. He opens the door. We're sitting there at the time. He was my very best friend. And he said, there's something about this time that I want to remind you. The consciousness is open. It's very much what you said. He said, this is an opening. Yeah. And as a group, we can choose fear or we can choose love. Be a part of the love. Yep. We have to urge people to choose love right now. And yeah. this time is so reminiscent of that time to me. Yeah. yeah. We're as not only a nation now, but a globe. Yeah. We can choose to walk the path of fear. Or we can choose to walk the path of love. Yeah. And that love, including that dignity and that care and justice and freedom, right? But when I, I want to ask you, when I look forward five years, I do see people being able to work from their homes. I do making that choice, right? When we're talking about dignity, making the choice to be able to work from home. I see all of these parents discovering their children. Yeah. Discovering who they are. Yeah. And I see a vision of us being able to be with our families and Mm -hmm. not have to work ourselves to the bone and choose between family or or career, right? Like I've you know, I I've never believed in that. I think you can have it have both, but it needs Mm -hmm. to be something that's sustainable. Yeah. I see us being able to heal ourselves with the things that come from the earth and to see folks like really embracing all of these natural remedies overnight. Like it's incredible. (laughs) Like it really is. I'm so blown away by it. I see a place where to be like us all knowing what it means in some small way to be imprisoned. Mm -hmm. I think we're all going to have a different idea about what justice and punishment and policing look like, you know? I really vision that. I I really vision us using this time to see what is working. There's a lot of sweet spots to it. And looking at the parts that are sweet and beginning to build them out, like looking at our impact on the environment. People all of a sudden care about animals. Wow, look at all the animals in the clear mm-hmm. blue water <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah isn't that amazing what do you see in five years yeah just like listening to you um one of my mentees said something to me yesterday um i want to find it he said something about like this time and 
what he's afraid of and and he was like what what happened something about world war Two, the great depression anyway it was it was an interesting moment because he was like you know i mentioned world war Two. i don't remember why <laughs> um and he was like right but then the great depression happened and i was like right but remember after the great depression was like one of the largest moments for the communist party mm. and he was like oh shit and i was like i said that because yeah like oh he was like wall street came back with a vengeance yeah yeah and i was like sure it did capitalism is not going to fail uh, <laughs> it's not set up to, it's not set up to it's no it's up. just it's gonna adapt yeah and and the people who are um the richest will survive and the people who are trying to get there may and the people like us and everybody else in the world will be deeply impacted but that's what I was saying. I was like, there's an opening. There was an opening. And in that opening led to some of the, we had one of the largest communist parties before the McCarthyism and, mm-hmm. you know, surveillance and all that stuff. So this moment, what, it, what it's doing too, is it's breaking open any beliefs and a system that we were all told that we can, you know, if we just pull ourselves, our bootstraps, take care of us. But there's no bootstraps in a pandemic. There is no holding yourself up. You literally need each other. We literally need each other to survive right now. And I think that opening is so critical. Like there's a whole generation of children that are living through this, that are like, witnessing what our healthcare system really is, Mm. what our criminal and legal system really is, all these systems that are teetering, that actually are not grounded at all because they're only only being buoyed up by money. So they're teetering. We are watching them crumble, crash, and then the impact that actually has on human beings. And that witnessing, that does something to you. Mm-hmm. And I know that because when I go and visit colleges and I meet the 18 year olds that were like 12 when I started Black Lives Matter and they're in tears or they're, or they're passionate or they've been literally for seven years of their entire teenage years been thinking about like, you know, police brutality or gun reform. Like this moment is one of those moments where it will stay with you for the rest of your entire life mm-hmm. and it will change how you understand and what is actually real and what is not what governments have told us is real and what is not like and you know like that to me is you 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 just can't you can't buy your way out of a pandemic you can't um you can't fame you can't fame your way it's been amazing that celebrity is being attacked like people people are like wait like what do you have to complain about? I see your rolling grass heels in the back of your Instagram. And in the city you've made for yourself while you, you quarantine. People are, are fucking pissed. Like, 
the fame that everyone aspired to is suddenly not as delicious. No, no. Because it doesn't matter. But what does matter when it's a matter of life and death and health is having access. And there are people are pissed that you get access to something that I don't. And who says you're better than me? What a gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that to me is five years from now is like, you know, as all of us, but especially like the like younger, like I think about Prince, you know, mm-hmm. um, at nine, like in five years, like what he'll remember about this moment and how it will have changed him or how it will have shaped him. Um, and I think that that's powerful. It's powerful. It's been interesting to watch him get happier and happier every day. Mm. And I'm wondering what's different. One, mm-hmm. I've, I'm relaxing. Mm-hmm. I'm relaxing. I'm not trying to perform anymore at some ungodly level. Mm-hmm. But we're all together. There's a lot more attention. There's a lot, there's a lot more intention. Yeah. I just, I'm seeing him change. There's a lot more health. Like we stay on our health game, but now I'm on my like super duper duper game. Yeah. I wanted to end with some wellness tips. Um, do you have a wellness tip that's something that's keeping you well, boo-boo? Share with our audience. I think like a good lemon, green tea, ginger, hot tea is good. Like I've been rocking with that. And um, some sort of movement every day. Like mm. even if it's, it doesn't have to be like full-on CrossFit workout. Um, <laughs> And if it's just like some set of squats or some push-ups or some jumping jacks or some yoga, you know, thank God for YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, who would have thunk <laughs> 20 years later, YouTube would be saving all of us right now. And then I think like checking in with each other, checking in on your team, um, making sure you have at least a few accountability people. I like, I realize like, um, I have a I have a crew that I talk to pretty much every day. Noni, obviously you're one of them. But like the people who I don't talk to, like I realize I hadn't checked up on. Mm. People would come check up with me. I'd be like, oh shit, I'm so sorry. Like I've been so in my in my place that I haven't thought about checking up on you. So like think, you know, if you randomly think about someone, check up on them. I think it'll matter in this moment. Um, mm. and it'll feel good. Keep a journal, a gratitude journal if you can. Um, and and then I know you said one. Sorry. Oh, um, keep them coming, oh, boo boo. Keep them coming. One of the last ones is <laughs> that was chuckling at Noni. Feeling healthy tip dance um, is uh, just send a loving loving kindness to all the healthcare workers, all the grocery store workers, all the fast food workers, um, all the air air. Um, uh, flight attendants. I just mm-hmm. wrote a, I just read a Time article where the flight attendants are like, we are spreading this and we know it and we're not mm-hmm. getting the things that we need and they're scared. And it was, it was a beautiful, painful article, but I hadn't thought about them. I, I even though I know that like flying scare and I hadn't thought about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the early days of COVID-19, they were the first ones, obviously, to see it. Mm-hmm. And to, to warn um, their businesses and their companies and they weren't given the PPE, they weren't given the masks, they, were, they weren't given the gloves they are, they are now, but they weren't before. 
And so a lot of them are just naming like it's probably too late. And a lot of them may have it more than others. And uh, are there some people may be asymptomatic, but still can pass it. And so just if you could spend a minute of your day sending loving kindness to all the essential workers that are keeping our world going around when we are sheltering in place, um, I think would go a long way. I love those tips. Mine is a little different. Um, it's yoni steam because um, if if you're a person who has a yoni or if you're a person who does not and you have like a perineum, whatever you have down below could really benefit from some steaming right now. Take all that delicious steaming you're putting into your nose, your eyes, and your mouth and go ahead and Hit the nether regions down there. <laughs> you know, I've definitely been running a holistic health hotline. I have a <laughs> lot of people texting me. And I'm noticing a trend of a lot of yoni vagina stuff this week. And it had me thinking about where we store our energy, where we store our anxiety and our pain, and our wombs, our yonis. Mm. all all of those those places that we really hold energy and it's our our deep deep stuff right mm. the stuff that we're not sharing out loud the stuff we're not typing in and look just get on your steam chair if you don't have a steam chair hit that youtube baby and figure out how to put an old pot into a toilet you can figure this out you know, if you need some tips, holler at me. I will give you some tips. You ha can use things you have right at home. Almost everyone has rosemary somewhere. If they go for a walk in yeah. LA, you'll come across some rosemary. Grab a piece of that. Wash it off. You know, do what you do. Get you some lavender. I'm sure all you hippies at home have some sage. Yeah, have some sage. You can break some of that off. Like, this doesn't have to be an Amazon order. Fuck Amazon right now. No shade, but shade. Oh, Instacart, no Amazon. Yeah, it doesn't have to be all that. Go open up a mint tea bag. Go open up a chamomile bag and get you a little steam on. Some simple herbs. You know where my DMs are. Holler at me. I'll help you out. But for real, like, you'll feel so much better. It's the only thing on my agenda for tomorrow. For people who have periods, when should they yoni steam? After. Okay, so right after. Mm-hmm, after. When your period stops. I don't steam while on a period. Stop. When the period goes by, stop. And then the steaming will help kind of get any of the excess old vibes that you didn't let all the way go. There's lots of great resources online about Yoni steaming. Get your Google on, but really feel free to ask me. I've been steaming for six years, almost seven years. So I really think it's a big key to health as long as you do it safely. Don't be putting no essential oils and shit in your steam pot. Don't be throwing stuff up inside of your Yoni. Just let the Yoni roll. How, how long should you steam? It all depends on what you're dealing with. Um, Steamy Chick is a really good resource if you need advice. I have a good friend, Jale, that is a good person to have a consultation with too. So if you're interested, I'll definitely direct you towards Jale. She has a, a podcast 
called Hot and Steamy. It's all about steaming. So you can listen to that. So some people can steam for 10 minutes, some 15, some OGs much longer, more mm. often. There's some people that can take direct steam for a long time. There's some people that have to take, you know, you just put it on the on the pot, boil it, bring it over and don't have like a little uh, burner underneath it. You just have a lighter steam session. Mm-hmm. It's really good when you're getting started to talk to someone who has experience in it. Mm-hmm. Just don't, just remember some of these white women out here colonizing steaming. So just right. try to choose a practitioner. Be yeah. yeah. Be mindful of like, these are indigenous practices. If you don't want to steam, a nice little sits bath is amazing. Give yourself a little herbal bath, a little spiritual bath. Just give the yoni some love. I love that so much especially everybody's feeling really raggedy right now at home so yeah I gotta do that I'm gonna commit to doing a steam after this cycle I love that thank you Patrice for being on All Heart Podcast (laughs) I love you thanks everyone for listening 